speaking to us. Uh, we're now going to spend some time in this passage, so if you want to keep your Bibles open, Luke 5, page 1032. Page 1032. Um, as we start, let me just lead us in a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, your throne is in heaven. You are the one who dwells in an approachable light. Yet we thank you that you are here tonight with us. You speak to us through your word. And you have told us in your word that you delight in those who are humble and contrite in spirit, those who tremble at your word. Please, Father, would you delight in us tonight? By your word, bring death to our sinful nature and breathe life into us in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You are useless. These are probably among the harshest words that could be told to you. Yet I'm sure that most of us tonight have heard these words spoken to us. The angry boss after you've um, made something wrong, the disappointed professor after you've failed an assignment, maybe the angry parent after you've made a mistake again. Yet often it is something that we tell ourselves when we are faced with our incapacities, our weaknesses, our sins and shortcomings, when we realize how insignificant we are in a big world, when it seems like no one would care if I disappeared right now, I am useless. Useless to people around me, useless to society, even useless to God. Yes, how could God use someone like me? With all my sins, my abilities are too small. I am not like, like this, this guy over there who is so great at sharing the gospel with everyone around him. I'm not like this woman over there who's so great at teaching the Bible. I'm not like this person who is so good at hosting and making people feel comfortable. I am not like these people. Am I useless to God? Or maybe you are here tonight and you don't believe in God. Yet, you might also be familiar with this, this fear, this angst of being declared useless. And what if there was a God, a God who wanted to use you for the highest purpose you could ever imagine? Maybe you're a Christian tonight, but your spiritual life has become monotonous and dull. You have lost all sense of purpose in your walk with the Lord. You have forgotten an essential truth. And this is the great truth that we all need to hear and embrace tonight, young, old Christians, not Christians yet as well, that God wants to use you for a work of eternal significance, whoever you are, whatever your life situation is, if only you would surrender to him and follow his call to serve him. And this is what we will see in our passage tonight, and we will see this in two points. Jesus reveals himself to you, surrender to him, and Jesus commissions you, serve him. 
So our first point, Jesus reveals himself to you. Surrender to him. And it starts with a crowd by a lake in verse 1. They have all come for one purpose, to listen to the word of God spoken by this Jesus. This man is like no other. He teaches with authority. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. Jesus has done already many miracles at this point in the gospel, but he has made it clear just a bit before our passage in verse 33 of chapter 4 that his priority is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And this is precisely what he's doing there by the lake. And at the water's edge, we also find a few fishermen. They are washing their nets, verse 2. They have come back from the sea. It's the end of the workday for them. Yet Jesus asks Simon, one of the fishermen, a favor in verse 3. Look down with me. He got down into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. He asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and told the people from the boat. It was probably a better place for him to teach the crowd from. But Jesus has more in store for Simon and his fishing team. And so when he was done with teaching the crowd, he turns to him and makes a curious demand. Look down with me, verse 4. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon goes on to explain in verse 5, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. We have toiled, they have toiled all night in vain. They, they have not caught one single fish. They are now probably exhausted. They've already washed their nets. What is the point in trying again? The daylight makes it even less likely to catch fish. What could experienced fishermen learn about fishing from this carpenter who just reconverted into a, a spiritual teacher and leader? Imagine one day being at your work and you're by the end of the workday, you've been working hard on, on a project, but you've not made any progress. And as you turn around, to your surprise, you see there Paul Rees. Um, he's the lead pastor here at Child Chapel. And uh, he looks at you and says, well, if you do that, it will work. You look at him, you, you smile and nod politely, but in your head you're thinking, I appreciate you trying to help me, Paul. But really, what do you know about accounting or engineering? <laughs> I'll ask your opinion if I, if I have a theological question. But I think you're out of your depth here. And we can think that Simon could have been thinking exactly the same thing here. He has seen Jesus showing an amazing ability to, to teach God's word with authority. But honestly, what does Jesus know about fishing? Yet Simon surprises us all with his answer. Look down in verse 5, when he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. We saw last week the, the authority of the words of Jesus, and here we see it again. Simon knows that there is very little chance for them to catch anything. He is the fishing expert on the boat, not Jesus. Yet because Jesus says it, he will do it. Simon has listened to the teachings of Jesus. He has seen him heal 
his mother-in-law from a fever back in chapter 4. He knows that Jesus is very special. There's something different about this man. Humanly speaking, it would make no sense for them to cast the nets again. Yet he does it, thus obeying to the words of Jesus. And what happened next exceeded whatever expectations they might have had. Look down at verse 6 and 7. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled two boats so full that they began to sink. This was unseen to them. They had never caught that many fish. What were the odds? They didn't catch a single fish after a long night of work. And here at the first attempt, in the middle of the day, they caught more fish than they ever did before. So many that they needed the help of a second boat. And even so, the boats, the two boats, were so filled up with fish that they began to sink. Two boats full of fish, absolutely extraordinary. This could not be mere chance. This was a miracle. And Jesus is at the origin of this miracle. He commanded the fish to, to gather at this point in the lake. He filled the nets with fish. This man not only commands demons and sickness, but even the fish of the sea. Now, if you were on that boat at this moment, what would your response be? Maybe celebrate the, the happiest day in your career. Maybe your mind is already drawn to all the, the business expansion opportunities you will have and with all the money you will make with all these fish. Well, if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking about employing Jesus at this point. I mean, imagine if he was on your boats every day. That would be amazing. Yet Simon does none of this. Again, he surprises us. He doesn't even thank Jesus. Rather, look down, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And what is happening here? Isn't it a bit excessive? Well, Simon realizes that Jesus is more than he thought he was. Through this miracle, Jesus unveiled part of his identity to him. And Simon is suddenly struck with this realization that there is something divine about this man. He is not a mere human. And so Jesus falls on his knees in an attitude, in an attitude of reverence and fear, where he previously called Jesus master in verse 5. He now calls him Lord. God in the flesh is standing on his boat. And Peter is so afraid that he begs Jesus to go away from him. Because Peter knows that no flesh can see God and live. He knows that the presence of a holy God is the most dangerous place to be for a sinful man like him. He is rightfully scared. He knows that he deserves judgment and condemnation from God. There is um, a very powerful moment in uh, the story of Les Miserables, if you've read the book or, or seen uh, the show, 
It's when the, the main character is caught, it's quite early in the story. He's caught by the police after having stolen valuable silverware to a bishop who generously hosted him just the previous night. The police brings him back to the bishop, and you can sense the tension as he's brought back in the presence of the one he has wronged. The one who has now the authority to deliver him to the police, to send him back to prison for the rest of his life. You can imagine this man trembling, maybe even tearing, realizing that he's now about to face the consequences of his wrongdoings. Simon and all of us are like this man. We are like criminals on the run before God. He created us, he, he gives us all good things day by day, yet we ignore and reject him. We push him away from our lives and leave us pleases us, completely disregarding his law. In other words, just like Simon, we, we are sinners. So Peter on the boat is like a criminal on the run, suddenly faced with his judge, the judge of all men, and he's terrified. Faced with the glory of God in Christ, Simon is convicted of his guilt and of his sins. And what about you tonight? You were not there on that boat 2,000 years ago, but Luke has written these things that we may know that Jesus is the Son of God. And through the word of God that is preached to you tonight, Jesus is revealing himself to you, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time. And how does it make you feel? If you're kind of new to um, all these things, if this is all kind of new to you, as you hear about Jesus, his awesome majesty, does it bother you that you have uh, spent your life Ignoring him, do you realize that you have wronged God by your selfish way of life? Have you ever been terrified even by the idea that there might be a God who knows you, who sees you, who knows your heart, and will one day judge you? Well, this God is Jesus, and tonight he reveals himself to you through his word. Do you realize that you have a big problem there? And there are many ways to respond. You can run away, numb yourself with entertainment or work and try and forget about it all. You could um, resolve to, to work harder at being a better person. You could find all the reasons why, you, after all, you're not such a bad person, especially compared to, to these people over there. If you choose this response, you can be sure of one thing, that the wrath of God remains on you. You cannot you will not be able to run away from God forever. But notice in our passage, Peter's response. He doesn't try and run away. He doesn't jump in the water and swim in the opposite direction. Nor does he tell Jesus that he'll try either to be a better person. Rather, he falls at Jesus' knees in verse 8 and confesses that he is a sinful man. He acknowledges his guilt before Jesus. By asking him to go away, he is asking for mercy. He completely surrenders to Jesus. And this is the right response. And what will your response be tonight, faced with the revelation of Jesus? 
Simon is no alone in this. In verse 9, we read that all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And we can imagine the tension at this point as on these boats as all have stopped and are staring at Jesus. They are holding their breath as they wait for Jesus' response, response sorry, to Simon, who is now at his feet. What will he say? What will happen now? Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. What wonderful words. Simon's confession of his sinfulness is met by grace. Jesus has not come to condemn him or the other fishermen. He has come to save them and radically turn upside down their lives. And so it is for you tonight, if you come to Jesus acknowledging your sins, you will receive grace, eternal life, forgiveness, and your life will never be the same again. And this is the first lesson for anyone who wants to be useful to God. You need to surrender to Jesus first. You need to have a sense of his majesty, of his holiness, an awareness of your unworthiness. Until you have been there, you are actually useless to God. It doesn't matter how successful your life might be in the eyes of the world. It means nothing to God if you are stubbornly rejecting his lordship. And it is only there, in this place of surrender, as Jesus meets your uselessness with grace, as he meets your sinfulness with mercy, with his loving forgiveness, it's only there that you will be ready to respond to Jesus' commission. And this leads us to our next and final point. Jesus commissions you, serve him. Jesus commissions you, serve him. Jesus doesn't just give salvation to Simon. He also calls him to a higher purpose. He says in verse 10, if you look down with me, from now on you will fish for people. Jesus reveals himself to sinners, not only to save them, but also to call them to serve him. But why would Jesus call fishermen to serve him? That makes no sense. They had no formal education. Certainly he could find more qualified people to serve him. But that is actually not the most surprising thing here. The biggest surprise is that Jesus called sinners to serve him, people who, by their very nature, were enemies of God. And this is an amazing encouragement to us tonight. Maybe you are sitting here and you have a strong sense of your inadequacy, of your sinfulness before God, and you think within yourself, God could never use me. I am way too messed up. I am way too sinful. Well, as counterintuitive as this might be, this is, what it, this is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus uses repentant sinners to fulfill his mission, and he loves it. Um, last year, some friend asked me if I uh, wanted to speak at a, a youth weekend away. I felt very honored, very excited, um, very honored, until I, I realized that the reason they asked me to do it is because they had run out of options. Um, everyone else had declined, and so, um, well, they were so desperate that they asked, they, they asked me. Um, but it's not like that with Jesus. 
He did not call Simon or us to serve him because all the qualified people were busy that day. He's not reluctantly calling us out of a lack of options. Jesus can and wants to use you. Not because you're amazing, but because this is how he brings glory to his name. He delights in using you for his glorious purposes. What is it exactly that Jesus is calling us to do? It's important for us to understand this, isn't it? Look down again at verse 10. From now on you will fish for people. The word that Jesus uses uh, to fish a hare means literally to catch alive or to capture full life. Jesus is very simply calling Simon to catch sinners who are far from God, who are dead in their sins, for life with God into his kingdom. Where he used to catch fish, to kill them, he is now called to catch people by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, to bring them into eternal life in the name of Jesus through faith in him. And so what is Simon and, and his friend's response? Well, it's very radical. Look, look down at verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Jesus' claim on the life of, of Simon and his fishermen is, is all-encompassing. They are not going to fish for men on their spare time. No, they, they leave everything behind. And without question, they follow Jesus and serve him. It's crazy. They, they had the best fishing day in their lives. They could make so much money now. Imagine the scene as on the shore, you see these two boats filled with fish and the fishermen just walking away, just leaving them standing there. It's crazy. Why? Why are they doing this? Are they just very gullible, gullible first century Palestinian men? Irrational. Well, consider this. They, they decided to leave the fish, the sea behind, to follow the creator of the fish, of the sea, of the earth and heaven. Why would they not? After having completely been blown away by this realization that, that Jesus is God, it's almost as if they, they just can't resist his calling. They just leave everything behind and follow him. And I wonder if often our own lack of wholeheartedness in following Jesus is due to us forgetting who Jesus is and losing our awe, our awe of him. He is the Son of God. Instead of condemning us for our sins, he took the condemnation on himself at the cross where he paid for our sins. He's now risen. He lives forever. He reigns over all creation. His kingdom will have no end. This is the one who calls us to serve him. This was the first disciples' response. They left everything and followed him. What will your response be to that? Now, that doesn't mean that all of us who are disciples of Jesus should leave our jobs behind, leave everything behind in this sense. However, it means that whatever our job is, whatever our life situation is, our priority should be to serve Jesus. This is the very reason for existence, isn't it? And there is real cost 
and following Jesus even if you stay where you are. You are not living for yourself anymore, but the living God. And often that means leaving some things behind. Maybe ambitions, dreams, desires, maybe some relationships, even more behind. But you leave all these things for something much better, much greater. To follow Jesus in, in a work that will have a resounding impact into eternity. What does it mean for us today to follow Jesus by proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, fishing for men? Well, God has placed us all in different contexts. School, universities, workplaces, sport clubs, neighborhoods, and so on. All these places where we spend so much time surrounded by people who do not know Jesus yet. And I want to to suggest that we start seeing these places as lakes full of fish to be caught to life for the kingdom of God, to see ourselves as the fishermen sent by God there to proclaim his kingdom. That means being witnesses of Jesus in these places, looking out for opportunities to share the hope we have in him, even in the smallest ways. And it starts with spending time with people who don't know Jesus we have this year as a church adopted a um, um, simplified calendar for this very purpose, that we would have more time during the week to uh, spend this with relationships outside of church. In three weeks' time, um, no, I think in a month's time, sorry, we will run a three weeks evangelistic course called Hope Explore. It will start on Monday the 24th. This will be such a great opportunity to, to invite someone along who, who is curious to know more about Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're curious to hear more about this man who calls people to follow him, people who leave everything behind to follow him. Please come and chat to me later. Come to this, that would be great. But why don't you start thinking now about who you could invite to that? This being said, the fact that we can serve Christ in our present situation doesn't mean that we shouldn't prayerfully consider leaving our present context to serve God somewhere else. According to the Joshua Project, 42% of the world's population belongs to an unreached people group. These are people groups who do not have enough followers of Jesus and resources to evangelize their own people. It's often places where even if you wanted to learn about Jesus, you couldn't do it. You've got, you, you would have nowhere to go. To be fair, they, they, probably would, they probably wouldn't even hear of the name of Jesus. There are no Christians there, no Bibles, no churches. There is no hope of salvation there yet. What if you went? Yes, we are not all called to go, to leave everything behind in this sense, to serve Christ overseas, but please, please, at least think about it, at least consider it. Don't just uh, thoughtlessly dismiss it as being something that's for someone else. Think about it, pray about it, talk about it, and you could talk about it even tonight after the service uh, with Sito, who's just sat on this side, so you, you could go to this side of the room later, chat to him, he's um, in the mission committee of a church, he would be a great person to chat to if you are thinking about that. 
I imagine that in this room there are a certain number of people who um, still have no idea of what they want to do with their lives. Maybe you're also at a crossroads in your life and you're a bit lost. What will you do with your life? Well, how about fishing for people? That would be a great thing to do for the rest of your life. But the reality, the reality is that it is hard. It is hard to fish for men, whether at home or abroad. It often feels like we have so little opportunities. When we have them, well, often we are cowards. And when we are bold, we are often met with indifference, if not hostility. Well, I would like to point out a great encouragement that we find in this text for the mission that Jesus gives us. You see, the, the miracle of Jesus here with the fish is not just to display his identity to these men, but also to illustrate the mission that he gives to Simon and to the church. Through the obedience full of faith of Simon, the catch of fish is miraculously plentiful. The catch for the kingdom will be plentiful as well through our faithful obedience to Jesus. John has this wonderful vision in the book of Revelation where he sees a multitude of every nation, tribe, and tongue standing before the throne of God singing his praises. The kingdom of God is to be filled up. It will be filled up. We should expect that people will be saved when we share the gospel. We should go fishing with great faith in Jesus and his power to save. Not because we are amazing and convincing, but because it is Jesus, the Lord of creation, who is at work through us to gather people into his kingdom. We should go with the same faith and obedience as Simon, when he verse, in verse 5, he says to Jesus, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. In the past few years, I, I had the joy of, of reading the Bible with, with a, few, um, a few unbelievers, a few non-Christians over a period of months, even years for some. Uh, I had the, sh the chance to share the gospel with, with quite a few people, and as far as I know, none of them our Christians are saved yet, except for one girl, actually, praise the Lord, that I briefly met on the street. But all these other people, nothing, nothing yet. And many times it's been a great discouragement to me, and it's something I, I still struggle with today. I am tempted to believe that there is no hope for others to be saved. I'm tempted to assume now that every time I share the gospel, the person will not believe. I'm tempted to doubt that Jesus still saves today. But I want to follow the example of Simon. I want to say to Jesus, yes, I have told and I haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will cast the nets again. I will share the gospel again and again. And I want to invite you, all of you, in this as well, whatever your struggle is in evangelism, whatever you find hard, to bring it to Jesus, to confess it to him, and to tell him in faith, because you say so, because you say so, I will do it. This obedience full of faith of Peter led to an amazing catch of fish. Let's have faith in Christ that as we obey and follow his word, 
he will bring many into his kingdom. Jesus commissions you, will you serve him? In 1945, a company of American soldiers were called by the American high command to accomplish what is considered still today to be one of the most daring rescue missions um, of the history of warfare. These men were willing to give up even their lives to rescue about 500 men who were held captive in atrocious conditions in a Japanese war camp. And these men are, are considered heroes. Our Lord Jesus is engaged in a far greater rescue mission to save a multitude from the power of Satan and eternal hell, to bring them into his kingdom for eternity. And he has planned to accomplish this mission through his church, through us. Our lives couldn't bear greater significance. And he will use you. You can be sure of this, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you simply surrender to him and follow his call to serve him. Let's bow our heads and, and pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that we have found life and forgiveness in him. We thank you that in him we have seen your glory and yet we have not been destroyed, but we have been comforted by your grace and transformed forever. You send us in this world as your servants, as ambassadors of the gospel, and we are keenly aware of our insufficiencies for this task. But we ask that you would give us courage to speak your word to those around us. Open to us a door for the gospel. May we see many turn to Christ in this city. May we, like the disciples, be astonished at the catch of fish. And we also remember these people across the globe who have never heard of the beautiful name of Jesus yet. People lost in darkness. And we pray that you would send out workers there. And we pray that you would give us all humility to consider in our hearts if we might be the answer to this prayer. Finally, Father, please fill our hearts with a vision of the glory that is to come when we will be with this multitude before your throne. May we work in faith every day in light of this glorious future. In the name of Jesus, amen.